I have one simple task, not just today, but for the next few weeks as we start this new series we're entitling A Feel Good Christmas. My task is to help us feel good. It's in the title. Yes. Thank you. Merry Christmas to me. Yeah, it's in the title. We're going we're gonna to just look into the Christmas story, into the word, and we're just going to try to take out the, the good news of great joy and try to encourage ourselves with this message of Christmas. And I mean, I know Christmas can be a difficult and challenging time for a lot of people. Sometimes life doesn't get the memo that it's Christmas. Anybody ever find that? In fact, it seems like sometimes the opposite happens and life says, uh, I see your Christmas and I raise you bills or whatever, right? Like it just gets a little crazy. Uh, but I thought it'd be important for us to look at the scripture and, and find some things to be glad about and things to get hopeful for and things to find encouragement in. And, and I felt it was not just tis the season, but it's a good season for us as a church as well on the heels of the last few months where we've done some deep diving and heavy lifting. Uh, as a church family, we have eaten our proverbial vegetables and uh, now it's time for dessert. All right, so, so we've done the hard work and ate our carrots and all the, all the truth of the word, and uh, now we're just going to look into the Christmas story, and I believe you're going to be really encouraged. Uh, and today I want to stir up faith and hope for miracles. How many of you know we, have a, we serve a God who is a God of miracles? He's able to do exceedingly abundantly more than we ask or even imagine. And I want to just start by looking at the Christmas story. If you don't have a Bible with you, I, maybe slip your hand up. We can put one in your hands. And I just want you to follow along today. You can keep that Bible. That's our gift to you. Merry Christmas. We're getting it started early. Uh, Luke chapter 1 and this is a, uh, uh, um, the beginning of the, the Christmas story as told by Luke. And I want to look at it today in Luke chapter 1. And I want you to see that Christmas and the story of Christmas actually begins with a man who has to rediscover his ability to hope. And he actually has to rediscover his ability to have faith that God could and would do something amazing in his life and in his day. And my prayer today for a lot of us is that we stir up the ability to have hope again, to, to dare to believe God to do something great in our day and in your situation and your life. And I'm believing that God's going to do just that. If you have a Bible, open it to Luke chapter 1, and we're going to read it to, together. Or I'll, I'll read it to you, but you can follow along. Uh, Luke chapter 1, just to give you a little backdrop before I jump in here, it had been about 500 years of silence uh, the Old Testament ends, and these people that we're going to read about today had been uh, just following God, but, but nothing had happened. No great prophets, no great miracles or moves of God that were recorded. Uh, no great kings or movements or great things that you'd read all throughout the pages of the Old Testament. That had almost dried up to the point at which they were now several hundred years removed from any great prophet or any great word of God or any thus saith the Lord moment or any moment where it seemed like God was doing something special. It had just been silence. Until God breaks in out of nowhere, and all of a sudden, everything begins to change. How many of you know that's what God is like? Just at the point where you start to wonder, have you forgotten about me? Actually, sometimes past the point. I don't think Zechariah was even thinking that God was going to show up like he does today, but you're going to see that God is a all-of-a-sudden type God. You ever notice that? He's an all-of-a-sudden God, and I'm believing today that for some of you, it's going to be an all-of-a-sudden day that you're going to leave and God is going to do something in your life uh, that you weren't maybe even expecting. You were coming to church and God had other plans for you. And that's my prayer. Can I get an amen? Yeah. You're with me. 
Verse 5, it says this. So Luke does a little introduction, and then he says in verse 5, he starts telling the story, and the story begins here. It says, when Herod was king of Judea, there was a Jewish priest named Zechariah. He was a member of the priestly order of Abijah, and his wife Elizabeth was also from the priestly line of Aaron. So both of them come from a long line of priests. These are pastors. These are people who work in the church, work in the temple. It says, Zechariah and Elizabeth were righteous in God's eyes. They were good people, careful to obey all of the Lord's commandments and regulations. We have two very faithful people here. But now Luke tells us, and this is an important note, he says this, that they had no children because Elizabeth was unable to conceive and they were both very old. Now, why is that important? Well, there are a few things. One, this tells us something that it is not foreign and not uncommon for good and faithful people to go through difficulty. There it is. Luke goes out of his way to say, hey, these, these are two people that descend from a line of priests. These were good and faithful people, careful to obey all the laws of God, and yet they had this difficulty their whole lives. They were unable to have children. And now we have friends and family. Maybe you are here today, and, and you know the actual pain of infertility. It's a difficult and heartbreaking thing month after month after month for your hope to keep getting pushed off, and you have to hope for the next one. Until, for in Elizabeth and Zechariah's case, you come to the place where you just realize, okay, this isn't going to happen for us, and you grow old, and you don't have children. And so they dealt with the heartbreak and the heartache of not being able to have kids, even though they would have wanted that. And not only that, in their day and in their context and culture, there was a stigma and shame associated with barrenness that is not quite the same as it is today. Uh, I think we all can identify with the pain and difficulty of not being able to have children, but there was actually a cultural stigma that these people had to deal with their entire lives. And so we get a picture into their problem. We get a window into the thing that they're wishing that wasn't the case, their, their wound, a window into their wound. And then it says this, one day, everyone say one day. One day, Zechariah was serving God in the temple, for his order was on duty that week. As was the custom of the priest, he was chosen by lot to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and burn incense. While the incense was being burned, a great crowd stood outside praying. While Zechariah was in the sanctuary, an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the incense altar. Zechariah was shaken and overwhelmed with fear when he saw him. Uh, Luke wants you to know this is not an everyday occurrence. This is not something that Zechariah had ever experienced before. This has him rattled and shaken to his core. God is up to something. God is doing something, and he knows it. Now watch this. But the angel said to him, don't be afraid, Zechariah. God has heard your prayer. Now it stands to reason, you, you, wonder, you wonder at what point Zechariah and Elizabeth stopped praying that prayer. You know that God hears the prayers you prayed and you forgot you prayed? God heard the prayers that you stopped even praying. It says, God has heard your prayer. Your wife, Elizabeth, will give you a son, and you are to name him John. You will have great joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the eyes of the Lord. He must never touch wine or any alcoholic drinks. He's going to have a special calling, so special standards. We talked about that a few weeks ago. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before his birth, and he will turn many Israelites to the Lord, their God. He will be a man with the spirit and power of Elijah. He will prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. He will turn hearts to the fathers of their children, 
children. He will cause them to, those who are rebellious to accept the wisdom of the godly. Like you hear this amazing deliverance of this amazing promise. And then Zechariah said to the angel, wait, what? Can you go back to the having a baby part? Yeah, no, that sounds great. You, you, you mean me? You know, like I, I get the discount when I, when I eat at Irving, right? Like, you know, you know, like babies for me and me and my girl, that's not like, it, you notice Luke went out of his way to say uh, he was very old, not just old. Dude was very old. You shouldn't call people very old unless they're really very old. That's a, he was very old. And so, so, a lot, so Zechariah is like, wait a minute. Whoa, 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 whoa. That sounds great and all, but are you sure you got the right guy? Like we're very old. He says, how can I be sure this will happen? I'm an old man now, and he's diplomatic here, and my wife is also well along in years. <laughs> Smart man. Happy wife, happy life. She might be listening. Angel might go tell her, hey, he called you very old too. <laughs> See, he's struggling with this pronouncement. He's struggling with this word the angel brings. I don't even, he can't even let himself believe that. And he doesn't respond with excitement or joy or optimism or hope. What's he respond with? He responds with questions and doubt. That he's not able to actually allow himself to hope. And now here's the, here's the thing. If he can't find his hope, if he can't find his ability to believe, if he can't find his, if he can't work up the courage in his heart to let himself hope again, then he can't place his faith in this promise. And if he doesn't place his faith in this promise, this thing's not going to happen because we know as we read our Bible, without faith, it is impossible to please God. Every time God moves on earth, it's because someone believed. It's because someone had faith. And so here we have a conundrum. This guy has got to figure out how to rediscover his faith. This is a lofty, impossible promise that has been delivered, and he is really struggling to believe it, to actually find the ability to have hope and faith in something so lofty. Have you ever felt that? You ever come to church and you'll hear sermons and you'll hear the promises of God preached or scripture read and hearing things about how God promises that if you raise up your child in the way they should go, they will not depart from it. You hear that and yet your eyes have seen a different track record. And so you're wrestling with, can I believe that word based on everything I'm seeing? And one of the things I've found in my life, and I think Zechariah illustrates this perfectly, is the longer that you have to keep holding on to hope, the harder it becomes. You know, how, how many years, I wonder, did Zechariah and Elizabeth pray to have children? How many years did they go before God saying, God, you, you, put, this, you put this in my heart. You put this longing in our hearts. Would you do that? We know, you, we know God, that you, you said, be fruitful and multiply. You commanded that. We know that you called children a blessing, and we want our blessing. And you, you told us that we could have this. And so, God, we ask today that you would give us the gift of having a child. How many months into years into decades did they pray that prayer until the point at which they just stopped praying it. The door seemed closed. That hope died. The Bible says hope deferred makes the heart sick. And the longer that you have to keep pushing off your hope, the weaker it can get to the point at which hope can die. You ever have a dream die? 
You ever have something you were praying for or something that you were hoping for or believing for where you're just not able to carry that hope any longer? See, Zechariah had lost his hope. That wasn't even on his radar anymore. And he now has to learn how to recover his faith. And you're going to see a, a picture of a man who has an amazing miracle happen, but it's going to come on the heels of him rediscovering his ability to hope and trust in God. And I just want to say to you today, I really believe that God wants to do something great on your behalf. And some of you came today with great and mighty miracles that you need to see happen in your life. And some of you have even stopped believing for them. And I just believe that God wants you to just start stirring up hope and even opening your mind to the possibility that maybe God might want to do something great in your life. And so Zechariah has trouble with this. And he says, hey, how can I be sure this will happen? I'm going to need a little bit more. I mean, I'm going to need a little more than an angel showing up and talking to me on behalf of God, it's, it's kind of funny, but we, we can understand how one would get there. I mean, they're, they're past the age of childbearing. That's just not something that's going to happen. I'm old now, and my wife is even well along in years. Verse 19, if you're following along, just keep your Bible open, because we're just going to hang out in this scripture and just, just see if we can't recover our own hope today. I think it's interesting, too, just to note, it's possible to be very faithful to God. I, I, I love the fact that the Bible says that Zechariah and Elizabeth were faithful. He was serving in the temple. They never wavered in their faith. And that, there's something to be said about, you know what? Like, like, this, like Job who says, even though he slay me, yet I will praise him. There's something powerful about a person who can remain faithful even though they aren't seeing the things they're praying for. But it's also possible to be faithful and faithless at the same time. To have faith in God and to honor him as just God of the universe, but not have faith that he can actually intercept and interrupt your life and do something on your behalf. And I think Zechariah and Elizabeth had lost some faith, and they need to recover it in order for the miracle and the move of God to happen that the angel promises. Verse 19, are you with me? It says, then the angel said, I am Gabriel. I stand in the very presence of God. If you're not picking up the tone here, he's not impressed. That's not a, I'm Gabriel. It's, I am Gabriel. Like he is, he's angry. He's, he's rebuking, he's rebuking Zechariah. And he says this, it is he, God, who sent me to bring you this good news. I was literally with God. He said to me to tell you this. Like God himself said to tell you this. This is God's word, not mine, he's saying. He says, but now... Since you didn't believe what I said or what God said, since you didn't believe God's word, you will be silent and unable to speak until the child is born. Now, just, just, just underline or highlight silent and unable to speak until the child is born. And then underline, for my words will certainly be fulfilled. So the angel rebukes Zechariah and he begins the process of helping Zechariah rediscover his hope. And he does it by disciplining him. If you ever want to know what God is trying to build in you, look at what he's disciplining. If you ever want to know how God is trying to build you, look at what is being disciplined. If you ever want to know how the enemy is trying to break you, look at what is being attacked. If your bills and every, ever have one of those times where everything just seems like it's falling apart, you know, I'll tell you what, the devil's not attacking your, your vehicle. He doesn't care whether your vehicle works or not. He's trying to attack your peace, right? If you ever want to know what God is trying to build in you, look at what is being, look at what is being disciplined. And so the angel does this. This is a prophetic discipline. And he, he does what? 
he silences Zechariah's ability to speak. He takes it away. Why? Because words were his problem. Words were his problem. The Bible says that from the heart, the mouth, from the heart, the mouth, yes, I knew more of you have read that one, so you're just playing quiet with me. Zechariah can't speak, you can, all right? So from the heart, the mouth speaks. So what's happening? When he said, how can I be sure I'm well along and I'm old and my wife is well along in years, what is he speaking? He's speaking the voice of his doubt. He's speaking the voice of his dismissal, the voice of fear. He's speaking the things that are ringing around in his head and his heart. That's what he's verbalizing, correct? The things that you say are what is already in your heart. And so he's, he's speaking what he actually believes. And so the angel Gabriel nips the source of the problem. It's a word problem. You are believing the word of your doubt. You are believing the word of your experience. You are believing the word of your insecurities more than the word of what God has just said. I know this because you're saying it. You ever wonder why God commanded the Israelites when they were going to take out Jericho? Remember, you're going to march around the city seven days. And God said, I don't want you talking. I don't want you speaking to the person to the left or the right. I don't want you saying anything. You will say nothing until the seventh time on the seventh day, and then you will raise a great shout of victory. Why? Why, why, did, why did God command them to just shut up and be quiet? Because what happens when you're, when you're on a long walk of faith? Well, this is dumb. Nothing's happening. Day four. Just looks like a bunch of walls to me. Here we go, day five. This isn't, this isn't working. You ever find how easy it is to talk yourself out of a miracle? Your, your words are a problem. The words of your past are a problem. And so Zechariah is disciplined by this angel, and he says, you will not speak because you cannot be trusted to speak until you start to recover your hope. You see, to find this, to, to see a breakthrough in your life and to see a miracle happen in your life, you actually have to learn how to rediscover hope, and you have to learn how to be able to trust God's pronouncement more than the precedent of your doubt. You actually have to learn how to trust and be willing to go out there and just take God's word at his word and trust it regardless of what your doubt is saying to you. That's the fight of faith. The angel tells him, hey, you're struggling to believe God's word. I can tell by the words that you're saying. Zechariah's problem is that his past experience is dictating his present expectation. His past experience was dictating his present expectation. Hey, we prayed for that, remember? We prayed for that for years and years and years, and I, I got no answer, and now you're coming to me, and I'm, I'm 90 years old. Like, I, I can just see it, Gabe. I can see it. I'm going to go to Toys R Us with my little walker thing, and I'm going to be standing there with, with a bunch of young couples, and I'm going to be picking out car seats, too, that I can't even lift. Like, how's that going to go? I don't know this technology stuff. They all do their monitors on their iPhones now. I can't do that. Like, he's already rattling off all the reasons why this won't work. Man, I find that in my life telling myself and telling my God the reasons why this won't work, I pray like it sometimes. You ever notice how you hedge your bets sometimes when you get talking about the miraculous? Well, God, if it's your will. God's will is God's will. God's going to have his way in the end. Why do, why do we hedge our bets like that? Because we're too afraid to actually just grab on to the word. If you said it, it's going to happen. We don't want to risk 
the pain of disappointment. See, precedent has a real ability to kind of hang into your present, doesn't it? Like the past has a real ability to kind of jump in and grab on to the way you currently think. I remember uh, when my wife and I were, before we were parents, uh, we had a miscarriage, our first pregnancy. We lost, we lost a, a baby. And the second time we got pregnant, and, and I know there's many of you that can identify with this specifically or another version of this, but the second time we got pregnant, we were way slower to announce that we were pregnant. And we were deep into the pregnancy before we were picking names. And deep into the pregnancy before we were, we were, we were starting to buy clothing and to, to actually let ourselves believe that this could happen. Why? Because we're protecting ourselves from the pain of disappointment again. I don't want to go there again. That's the thing you have to fight in faith. You actually have to say, you know what? I'm going to risk the pain of disappointment. I will trust what he said and I'll let him deal and I'll deal with the consequences as they come. See, precedent has a real strong ability. The, the disappointments of the past have a real strong ability to dictate how you expect God to move in your life today. The devil will try to use disappointment to hold your hope hostage. You ever notice that? Like, the moment you start to think, this could happen. The moment you start to think, hey, God's word says this, could I believe him for this, is the moment those thoughts come into your mind of all the reasons why your history tells you this couldn't happen this way. You ever notice that? I do. I do, Pastor Brent. I noticed that. Yes, that's happened to me. I'll say amen myself. See, the angel said, you have to believe what he said and silence the voice of doubt. I have to choose. If you listen, let me say this. If you are going to see God do something great in your life, you first and foremost are going to have to fight and say, I choose to, to believe that God has the final word, not my past experience, not my understanding, not my sense of right and wrong, not my sense of justice. I give God the right to dictate and determine how this is going to go, and I'm going to pray and expect accordingly. That, that's what precedes a move of God. You silence all of the reasonings and all of the logic as to why this makes no sense. That's what the proverb means. Proverbs 3 where it says, uh, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not, lean not on your own understanding. That's where the fight is. Do you notice that? The fight is, I don't understand this. Well, why, if God, why would I ask God to do this today when he didn't do it yesterday? Why would I ask God to do that for me when he didn't do that for them? Why would I ask God to do that over here when he wouldn't do it over there? And we start to play this imaginary game. Have you ever done that, the yes and no game? Like God said, you know, I prayed for that, and God said no, so I, best, I guess I can't pray for this. Yeah, that's what it means, lean not on your own understanding. Bring that scripture back up, Proverbs 3. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your own understanding. This is not the time for you to start measuring and figuring out the mind of God. Let God be God. It says, in all your ways, acknowledge him. I don't know. I just trust what he said. I'm holding the promise. I'm just letting God be God. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your path. So you have to learn how to remind yourself. Rehearse in all your ways, acknowledge him. Rehearse the truth about God. Remind yourself that, hey, my God is able. 
Amen? Like God is able. There, let me say this. There is not one situation in your life right now that God is not able, abundantly able, to completely change. Not a single situation. There is nothing too hopeless. This is, this is what Jesus demonstrated over and over and over again in, in, in increasing measure. He said, hey, I can control the weather. I can control sickness. I can control demons. I can control addiction. I can control family issues. I can control all of it. I am Lord of lords. Everything bows at my feet. God is able. Sometimes you have to remind yourself, hey, what's the word? I don't know. This looks hopeless, but God is able. You remind yourself and you rehearse that word. I will hold on to God's pronouncement. See, it's a fight for choosing your words. If you're taking notes, I, I, I write this down. Number one, find your hope in God's pronouncement. You need to learn how to choose your words. I, hey, I know what the voice of, of history says. I know what the voice of my disappointments say. I know what the voice of this says, but I am choosing to believe that my God is able. Remind yourself that he can. Remind yourself that he has. You know one of the biggest things that robs us from present strength is we are not faithful to look back over our shoulders and say, hey, my God has been good to me. He has delivered me. You know, you know like how fast we forget about the miracles that God has done behind us. You ever notice that? That's why I hear like Pastor Dan and I and a few staff, we're trying to like catalog miracles and catalog great things that God has done. Why? Because we so easily forget and then we come to a new situation. And you're like, well, I don't know if God can do that. I've not seen a whole lot of miracles. And God's up there like, are you kidding me? <laughs> you ever notice that? Sometimes you got to look back over your shoulder and say, oh, man, yeah, God, God, is, God has been with me. I prayed for that, and he delivered. I just had a moment like that this week. My, my, my dad, uh, five years ago, had kidney cancer. Uh, we prayed for healing, and God healed him through, through uh, surgery and and. Now, five years removed, every year he's had a checkup to see and a screening to see if it's coming back. And this year said, hey, you're five years clear. You don't need to come back. Hey, we prayed for that. We prayed for that. And now, now watch this, though. You know where the battle is? The battle comes back in my mind where it's like I've also prayed for family members who had cancer that it didn't go that way. You, you cannot start trying to arbit and start trying to navigate the mind of God in these things. He just tells us to believe him at his word. See, sometimes I think you look back over your shoulder and, you, and you'll, you'll start measuring it. You have to remind yourself, hey, you know what? A no, a no yesterday. Sometimes we pray and ask God for things and we don't get the answer we want. And I'm not saying if you pray, God will just automatically grant your request. God gets to be God. But a no yesterday does not necessarily mean a no today. Sometimes we answer God for him, don't we? Well, I'm not going to ask for that because I asked then and I didn't get the answer I want, so I'm not going to ask for that now because I didn't get the answer I want then. You ever notice that? You ever do that? So can you trust God's word and believe that there's new mercies every morning? A no for them doesn't necessarily mean a no for you. There's been times where I've been slow to pray about things because I've had friends and loved ones pray for that thing and they didn't get what they wanted. So I'm like, well, I guess God doesn't do that thing. That's not in his bag. You ever, you ever do that? Remind yourself, God can decide and God will do what God will do and he tells us to ask him. A no for that thing doesn't necessarily mean a no for this thing. Sometimes I think we just, we, we, we filter God through just our past experiences uh, this is a big one. 
I think sometimes we don't ask God for things because we said no to him. But you got to remind yourself, a no to him does not mean he will say no to you. Sometimes we know that we're not worthy of God doing something great for us, don't we? Why would God do what I ask him to do when I haven't done anything he's asked me to do? Can we be honest in church? Yeah. We feel that, that sense of I'm not worthy to see God do a miracle in my life. But get this, God doesn't do miracles based on your worthiness. He does miracles based on his worthiness and the fact that he loves you, not on how good you are. The same way with my own kids. I give them what they need, not because of how good they are. It's because I love them more than they love themselves. That's good preaching, pastor. Thank you. Amen, amen, amen. All right, let's keep going. Verse 20. But now since you didn't believe what I said, you will be silent and unable to speak until the child is born, for my words will certainly be fulfilled. Let me just say that again, just in case you missed it. God's word will certainly be fulfilled in your life. God's word will be fulfilled. Every promise that God has spoken will come to pass. Hang on to it. Dust off the voice of doubt and hang on to it. you got to find your hope in what God has said. Now watch what else he says, though. So it's a matter of, of words, but also, look at this. Bring that back up, verse 20. My words will certainly be fulfilled at the proper time, at the proper time, at the proper time. That's key. Underline that. You don't just find your hope in God's words and his pronouncement. You find hope in God's process. You need to know the seasons. I think it's interesting that Gabriel chose to actually tell Zechariah, hey, this is a timing thing. It's not going to be immediately. How many of you know that God is not a microwave God? That a lot of the prayers that we ask for and a lot of the breakthroughs that we see, they don't happen overnight. They actually take a time. They take a season. They take a process. And Zechariah has already answered the angel and said, hey, look, the time for babies is over. That door has closed. We are old. We're not about to be having babies. That, that time is done. And, and Zechariah is corrected. Gabriel says, hey, don't call something final that God calls seasonal. Whoo, that was good. That was really good. Don't call something final that God calls seasonal. God is the God that does not look at things that end and say, it's over. He says, a new season is beginning. God is a God of seasons. He's a God of seasons. He's a God of things working itself out in its time, in its process. This is why Ecclesiastes says, to everything there is a season. That God is a God of seasons. This is in Genesis. It tells us in Genesis 1 that, that God made everything. On day 4, it says, hey, let us make the sun and the moon so that people can know the seasons, the days and the years. That God is a God of seasons. That he actually works through time. And he sees time differently than us. I think sometimes we lose hope because we don't understand God's timing. Isn't that the case? Like, God, what are you doing? But here's the deal. You and I are stuck in time. We are stuck. We are going one way and one way only. And we try our best to see the whole picture. But God sees time in 3D. He can like go all the way around it. He sees every angle. 
And we have to learn how to trust God's timing. We have to learn how to trust God for the season. God is a God of seasons. He makes things happen in seasons. It's actually part of the process that that winter gives way to spring and spring gives way to summer and summer gives way to fall. It's the same in your life, that the season you are in is actually giving birth to the season God is bringing you in. There is a purpose in it. And the new season is just a matter of timing. And I think if the resurrection of Jesus and the resurrection even when he raised Lazarus goes to show us anything, it is this, that nothing is final and nothing is permanent when we have the God of seasons on our side. That the things that you want to call and label over, God says, oh, no, 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 that's just a new beginning. We got a new season coming. It's a brand new season. And so we have to learn how to trust God for the season that we're in How many have come through enough seasons to know there's been seasons I was real angry about that in the end turned out, hey, God, thank you for that season. Because if I didn't come through that season, I wouldn't be in this one and I wouldn't get it and I wouldn't be here without it. Anybody ever thank God for a season they used to be mad about? I got all kinds of them. It's like the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul in prison, he's in prison and, he, and he's writing. And he says, you know what? I'm glad I'm in prison. I'm glad I got shackled up and they beat me half to death. I'm glad I'm here because I'm converting the whole place. He says, I'm glad it happened. Have you ever, ever like been angry at God and then you give it enough time and then you're starting to praise him for it? I, let me be vulnerable for a second. I only ever tried to date two girls in my whole life. The first one shut me down. I was mad about that season in its season. And then God came and he led me into a land flowing with milk and honey. (laughs) And the season that he brought me in was so much better than the season of my disappointment. I had a better appointment than my disappointment. Amen? Look, God, God does that. And you might be right now in the season of rejection. But if you're experiencing rejection and you trust God with your seasons, he will bring you into the season of acceptance that is better than the one you thought you wanted in the first place. I've seen, I, look, I've followed God my, for most of my life. I'm not an old man. I'm not very old, but I've followed him long enough to know that I know now that God will take whatever season I am in and he will use it to give birth to the next one. And I will thank him for it. Our church is the product of that. A season of difficulty, a season of of, of confusion, a season of, of disaster and pain gives birth to a new season of life. That's how God rolls. He's a God of seasons. Yeah, I think I think we could learn something from Maple Leaf fans. The audacious, never-ending optimism and faith of a new season in a Maple Leafs fan. Got any any Leafs fans? Man, it's, I remember, I remember in the 90s. Oh, man, this is our season. This is my season. We got Dave Anderchuk and Doug Gilmore, Felix Potvin in the pipes, right? We are, we are, we got this. We're going all the way, baby. We got a cup coming. Okay, it didn't work out, but this next year, this is our season. I'm feeling good. You hear the chatter every year, and then you hear it in like the 2000s. Yo, we got Matt Sundin. I'm feeling good. This is our season. I can feel it. And then, then just a couple years ago, we got Austin Matthews. This is going to be our season. We're feeling real good. And now, hey, it wasn't, wasn't the case last year, but this year, this is the season to be a Leafs fan. You got Austin Matthews and Tavares, and they just signed Nylander like last night. This is my season to be a Leafs fan. I think we could learn something from them. <laughs> hey, 
we don't have Jonathan Devaris on our team. We have Jesus Christ, Lord of Lords. I should be optimistic about my team and my season. Amen. Hey, I don't know how it's going to work out, but this is my season. My God controls the season I'm in, and he's bringing me into a new season. He's the God of seasons. He's purposing the one I'm in. He's going to make a mess into a message. He's going to make pain into triumph. That's what he does. He's the God of seasons, and I'm trusting him with it. So you got to learn how to trust God's timing. That's pretty good, too. Good, too. All right, let's finish up. Don't miss that, though. Some of you are, it's hard for you to joke about because you're in the middle of the dark season. You're in the middle of difficulty. And we're going to pray that God breaks in today and he, and he brings you into new season today. We're going to ask for that. But just take hope and counsel in this. God's timing is perfect. I don't know why he does what he does, when he does, and how he does. I don't know. He's God. I'm not. But I've followed him long enough, and I know, I know many of you in this room and online, you, you followed him long enough to know God's timing is perfect. And his, his, his ways are not your ways, and his thoughts are not your thoughts. And we will all stand before God. If you stay faithful and you keep following him, we will all stand before God someday, and we will look back over the seasons of our life, and we will glorify him tear-free. We will celebrate and say, God, I am thankful for every single season. You will thank him for every season. Verse 21, let's finish up. It says, meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah to come out of the sanctuary, wondering why he was taking so long. When he finally did come out, he couldn't speak to them. Then they realized from his gestures and his silence, it's kind of a funny picture, eh? Like, all of a sudden, dude's got to figure out sign language immediately. They realized from his gestures and his silence that he must have seen a vision in the sanctuary. When Zechariah's week of service in the temple was over, he returned home. Now, Luke puts a period there, and then there's no verse between the next one, but, but one needs to understand what's about to happen. Verse 24, soon afterward, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant. Zechariah went home and worked up his faith. Did he just say that in church? Yeah. I don't know how he did it. I mean, he couldn't smooth talk. I don't know, he went home and put on Netflix, and that's the signal. I, I don't know what his move was. But he had to go home with that promise. And I know it's funny, but, like, I don't think they were in the mode of trying to get pregnant. There is a season when you're, when, when you're trying to have a baby, like, okay, like, hey, hey, it's uh, ovulation time. Get home, right? Like, anybody... Wow, this got real fast. <laughs> I don't think they were in that zone. But he has to go with this word and take it home, and then he has to start operating in faith. That's what it is. That's what it looks like. Look what it says. Elizabeth became pregnant and went into seclusion for five months, and she said this, How kind the Lord is, she exclaimed. He has taken away my disgrace of having no children. If you're writing notes, you can write this down. We need to find our hope, find your hope, recover your hope in God's promise. What I mean by that is you need to learn how to walk it out and hold on tight. I think it's interesting that God, many times in the scripture, but specifically this time, uses that analogy of people having gotten pregnant and that process of 
a baby being conceived and the process of a baby uh, growing in the womb until the day that labor pains break and the baby comes. Uh, it's, it's a very similar process to how God gives birth to a great thing in your life. It's very similar. When God does something, when God births something in your life, the process, it mirrors that of, of when, we, when we actually get pregnant and we actually have a human baby. It's the same principles apply, that a seed has got to be conceived inside the womb, and inside the womb, the baby actually germinates and then becomes, becomes uh, over the months, it, becomes, it grows into the time where it's ready to be born into the world. A miracle is much the same way. Did you know that this baby, this promised baby, this miracle baby was not first conceived in the womb? This miracle baby was first conceived in his heart. That this miracle actually had to first and foremost access, he had to actually, he actually had to lay down and open up and humble himself and make himself vulnerable to dare to believe God at his word. He had to receive the seed of God's word in his heart. Can we be grown up for a second? That God conceived the miracle in his heart before that he walked that out and the miracle became an actual human named John who prepared the way for Jesus. This miracle, first and foremost, had to gain access into the heart of Zechariah. He, at some point in that exchange, with the angel, decided, I'm going to believe you at your word. I'm going to take you at your word, and I'm going to walk it out in faith. Listen, faith is not belief. Faith is not hope. Hope is hope. Hope is desiring something. It's being optimistic. It's, it's about being hopeful. Faith is living as though it's going to happen. That's different. And the reason for us a lot of great things don't happen in our lives is that we, we're, we're able to kind of hope for it, but it's a hesitant hope. And God actually demands a faithful hope, a hope that actually talks like it's going to be done, that walks like it's going to be done, that acts like it's going to be done, that prays and plays like it's going to be done. That's what faith looks like. And so if you're going to see God do something great in your heart, you have to actually let the promise actually hit you in the deepest parts of you where you'll actually lay down your, 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 your barriers and your protections, those things that try to keep, we try to protect ourselves from the pain of disappointment. You actually have to lay those down and receive the promise in the deepest places of your life and say, God, I need a miracle. I receive your word and I'm believing it. And I don't care if people call me crazy. I don't care what my past says. I don't care that we prayed for this in this case and it didn't work. I am, I am receiving and I am claiming that promise for myself and I am walking it out in faith and I will hang on through the season until you bring it on to completion. That's what faith looks like. Zechariah and Elizabeth actually had to go and do what their faith told them to do. I mean, that's a crazy story. Some of y'all who are like, maybe, um, I'll say it like Zechariah, uh, well along in years, you can understand maybe like, like how this couple, can you imagine processing this? Like just being parents, let alone the parents of the, the way maker for the Savior. Like that's huge faith they had to have. Massive faith. And yet they did it. And they walked it out. And now we get to celebrate Christmas because an old man and an old woman 
decided, I will believe God's word no matter what the cost to me, no matter what the, the, the stats say, no matter what my past says, no matter all my disappointments, I'm pushing it aside and I'm going to receive this word for myself and I will hang on to it until it happens. And now we celebrate Christmas because of that. The miracle happened because these two people dared to believe and they walked it out by faith. Let me ask you this question in closing. Ben, you can come back. What are you willing to believe God for? What are you willing to ask for of him? You need to receive it in faith. I think we might have a little more ability to pray big prayers and to believe that God would do great things in your life. And I, I don't know what your thing is. You have your thing. It's in your mind. I know there are people dealing with family issues. There's health issues. There's marriage issues. There's, there's, there's children issues. There's financial issues. There's all kinds of things represented in our church family. I know you have your thing that you're like, God, I need a miracle here. I think it would be easier to trust God for a miracle if today, you know, an angel showed up and had this conversation with you and took your ability to talk yourself out of the miracle away. Might be a little easier. You're like, well, easy for Zechariah. He had Gabriel come and tell him. But in fact, you know, we actually live on the other side of his miracle. And we have a greater sign than an angel showing up. We have the sign, like uh, the angels would later say, a couple pages later, say, this will be a sign unto you. You will find the boy wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. We have the sign of God's promise. His name is Jesus. This is what the scripture means. We sing the song, uh, all your promises are yes and amen. It's not just some catchphrase that we've cooked up. It's actually scripture. Second Corinthians says, all the promises of God find their yes in Christ Jesus. What's that mean? It means that everything that God has promised has been fulfilled and delivered in the person of Jesus. So that as you take hold of the person of Jesus, you are taking hold of the promise. That's what that means. So that means that nothing, because of Jesus, no promise is off limits. There's nothing that you can't access that God could do for you because you have been given the promise in the person of Jesus. All the promises find their yes in him. That is why through him, we utter our amen. What's amen? Amen means, let it be unto me. So what's that saying? It's saying when we pray, we are praying not based on our own self-worth, not based on our own understanding, not based on even our own ability to make sense of it all. It's based on who Jesus is. We are taking hold of Jesus. That's what it means to pray in his name. When you say in Jesus' name, we're not saying that as some cute little closing to a prayer. What we're saying is, based on who Jesus is, I'm believing God for this miracle. Amen. Let it be unto me. Because Jesus died and rose again, I'm saying amen unto me. You look to Jesus for every single promise. So if you need, if you need reconciliation, how many know God's a reconciler? He can restore every relationship. You take hold of Jesus who has restored the most broken relationship in history, the relationship between God and humanity. If he can reconcile that, he can reconcile you. 
And so you take a hold of it and you say, God, the same power that reconciled the world to God, I am accessing that in my life. And Jesus, in Jesus' name, I'm taking hold of that reconciling power so that, God, you're going to make you're going to make healing ways in my family this year. And I'm taking hold of that promise. That's what it means to take hold of the promises. Uh, maybe you need forgiveness. Maybe you need to access the ability to forgive. That's your miracle. You keep wanting to be free of the pain of what they did to you, and you can't let it go. What it means to take hold of the promise is, I'm taking hold right now of the power that did not hold our sins against us, but in fact died for us. And I'm taking hold of that same power that didn't count, us, uh, count our sins against us, but died on our behalf. I'm accessing it, God. The way that you forgave me, I'm accessing the same power to forgive them in Jesus' name. Maybe you need healing in your body. God is a healer. God is a healer. God is a healer. And so you come to, to come to the cross of Jesus and you say, I am, I am asking for healing, not in my name, not in this name, in Jesus' name. And the same power that laid hands on the leper and was clean, the same power that said, Lazarus, get up, and he got up, the same power that touched blind eyes and they opened, the same power that touched deaf ears and they opened, I'm taking hold of that power in Jesus' name and I'm grabbing on to healing. That's what we're doing. It's not about you. It's not about you. It's about him. So here's the good news. Here's the good news. For whatever you need, Jesus is the power and he is the promise delivered. You trust God with his timing. We're going to pray this morning and some people are going to be healed instantly. Some people are going to walk out in faith and your healing is going to come in its season. We're going to pray this morning and some people are going to, they're going to have the ability to have children. We have seen dozens of people conceive after we prayed. God is the Lord of the harvest. When we come to him and we say, God, we ask that, we ask that this couple would be able to have children. We are pleading the blood of Jesus on them again. And we're going to pray for that. And we're going to see testimony and hear testimony of, of, of men and women, of, of couples saying, hey, we're pregnant. We weren't, now we are. Thank God. So we're going to pray this morning. We're going to ask based on Jesus. Uh, Paul said this, and I just want to confront this before, before we pray. I think sometimes we wonder if God would, not if he could. You know? I think if God is God, most of us can wrap our heads around, well, if he really is God, then there's nothing he can't do. It's not that he couldn't. I think sometimes we struggle with, like, not could he, but would he? You know, like, would God care about my needs? Would God care about my situation? Would God care to break into my family and do something? And the answer is yes, he does. How do you know, pastor? I know because he cared enough to send his son to die for you. This is what Romans 8 means. How could he who did not spare his own son, but graciously gave him up for us all, not along with him, give us all things? Translated, if God gave you Jesus, he already gave you. He exhausted the bank of heaven for you. There is nothing else that he wouldn't or couldn't give to you. All that to say, God is not holding back. So ask him. Amen. Ask him. Would you, would you stand to your feet this morning? I, I, I felt like the Lord just wanted to do some miracles in this place. But he wants you to ask. Jesus said this. Let me read this scripture. and We're going to pray. 
Jesus said in John 15, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, there's that, there's that reception thing again. Are you, are you willing to receive him, the word? If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. It's just death. Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned, a waste. But verse 7, here's the promise. If you remain in me, this is Jesus. If you remain in me and my words in you. Some of you need to let the word in this morning. Ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. It's to God's glory this morning that we bear much fruit. It is to God's glory this morning that there's gonna be people healed in Jesus' name. It's to God's glory in this next season we're gonna find men and women saying, we got pregnant. It's to His glory that that's gonna happen, amen? So here's the thing, here's what I wanna pray for. Um, if you have a need this morning, if you have an area in your life that I need a miracle here. I've tried everything on my own. We need, this is a God for Jesus. This is a job for Jesus. That, that, that there's nothing else I can do. If that's you, uh, I wanna invite you to come forward and I want you to receive prayer this morning, right now. That you just come, come up to the front and we're gonna pray and ask God for miracles. A few people that God put on my heart specifically. Uh, one, one group of people is for families. I, I had a real burden for families this week. People who have family emergencies and family dynamics and family struggles that you just need a breakthrough. You need God to do something or else it's just gonna keep going horribly. You need, you need something in your family to, to change. I felt the Lord say, would you, you can invite family issues forward. If you have a family issue, uh, if you have a physical issue, I felt like God wants to heal bodies this, today. Uh, we actually had a word about organs, that people have, there are people having organ issues, uh, issues in your inside of you that we're gonna pray and ask God to, to heal right now in Jesus' name. So, so uh, health issues. Uh, I also felt that there are people in a financial crisis, uh, that you need a financial breakthrough, you need a financial miracle, and God to do something Something. You need a job, you need a raise, you need, you need a break, whatever that is, or you're going to go broke. I want to invite you to come up. Come on forward. Just fill this whole front. Come on up. There's many more of you. You're all being shy. Listen, I can guarantee you're not going to get a miracle if you're too proud to ask for it. That's a fact. So humble yourselves. That's why it says in Corinthians, or in Chronicles, it says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, I will heal them. It's on the back of your humility and your prayer. So come forward. Let's just ask God in all of these areas of need, family, bodies, uh, finances. Uh, oh, oh yeah, let's do this. There are couples that are trying to get pregnant. And maybe you're here or maybe you're mom. Maybe you're the mom of a couple who's trying to get pregnant. I want you to come. We're going to pray. We're going to pray for conception today. Come on, just fill this whole area in. Let's not, let's, come on right up. Come on right up. It's, it's okay. Fill it in. Come on in. Come on in, everybody. Lots of people. It's not too late. We're going to pray in faith. And now the rest of you, thank God that you're in a season where God is, where you're on a mountain season. So your job is to pray with me and to just, let's just ask God to do something amazing uh, for, for these people and these needs represented. So maybe, I don't know if you want to lift your hands, you want to put your hand on the person next to you, but let's just agree together right now and let's just pray in faith. So Father, we just first and foremost, we come to you right now and we just say that you are the Lord over every single need represented here. And that there's not one need here represented that you are not sovereign over and that you are not 
not greater than, there is not a single name of the name of cancer, the name of infertility, the name of debt, the name of family dysfunction. There is not a single name that the name of Jesus is not reigning supreme over right now. And so Lord, we just stir up our faith in your Lordship right now in Jesus' name, that every knee will bow and tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. And so God, we're calling forth the Lordship of Jesus right now into these situations. We take hold of the Lord Jesus in these situations. God, we pray for families right now in the name of Jesus. We speak restoration over mothers and sons and mothers and daughters and fathers and daughters. We speak restoration in the family in Jesus' name. We speak alignment in the family in Jesus' name. We speak peace into parents who are wondering when that child is going to come back from that wayward season. We speak peace. We say, come back to the kid who's wandered off in the name of Jesus. They're coming back in Jesus' name. We're declaring a new season over lost kids in the name of Jesus. We're speaking return in Jesus' name. We're calling forth a rich time, a rich season of family. Even this Christmas, a rich season of family in Jesus' name. We're asking for a new level of family dynamic in the name of Jesus. Father, we lift up every physical infirmity in the name of Jesus, and we just say it is to your glory that healing happens. It is so, Jesus, you said it is so that you will know that the Son of Man has power to forgive sins that will heal bodies. And so, Lord, we ask for healing right now. We command these organs into alignment and health in the name of Jesus. God, we, we command, uh, there's back issues right now represented. We just say, uh, we just speak alignment in the spine and alignment in the back in Jesus' name. And we just release healing into people with chronic back pain right now in Jesus' name. Holy Spirit, you are doing a new work in bodies right now. Lord, we speak healing. Uh, there are people with mental illness and, and headaches and, and, and issues in their mind. Lord, we speak the mind of Christ and we release healing right now into the minds of people in Jesus' name. God, we just lift up every financial burden right now and we just say, Lord, you are the God who owns the cattle on a thousand hills and God, we trust you with our money and we trust you with our finances and we trust you with our resources, God, and you're the God who takes our little bit and you multiply it so that we have more than enough. And so, Father, I'm just claiming more than enough over every person who needs a financial miracle in Jesus' name. A supernatural provision vision, God, in Jesus' name, that they will know that you are God, and they will know that you are good, and they will know that you are a provider in the mighty name of Jesus. We speak financial provision and financial breakthrough in the name of Jesus. Lord, for every couple who has the dream in their heart to be parents, God, we just speak conception right now in the name of Jesus. Lord, you're the Lord of life. You said be fruitful and multiply. You told us children are a blessing. And so, God, we just agree together in Jesus' name. We just speak life into the into the womb in Jesus name we speak destiny into this child in the name of Jesus we speak a great testimony from these parents to be that God heard my prayer just like Zechariah God heard my prayer and I gave I gave birth to a great child of God a great man of God a great woman of God we just speak destiny and conception in the name of Jesus and we look forward to the testimonies to come in the mighty and matchless name of Jesus Lord for every need represented here and online and whoever's listening to the sound of my voice, God. We say you're able. We take hold of your promise in Jesus' mighty name. And all God's people said, amen. Hey, give God a great shout of praise. Let's say thank you to him. Thank you, Lord. I just want to encourage you for a second.
We've got, we've got some people around. We've got some elders and some pastors and some people around that would love to pray for you by name and to pray over your situation specifically. And I would encourage you maybe just to linger around and we'll work our way through and we'll agree with you. General prayers get general answers. Specific prayers get specific answers. So we would love to take a moment before you rush out of here just to pray a specific prayer of faith with you. So let's worship. Those of you who have to go, you can go in a minute. But for those of you who want just a specific prayer, I just encourage you to stick around. We're going to work our way through. Amen? Amen. Let's celebrate. Let's thank God this morning.